Hi, if you're looking for greater hope, assurance, and confidence through the shifting sands of life, then join me on today's episode as we dig deep into the Bible to discover rock-solid truth for life and living from the God of the Bible. I'm your host, Scott Keffer. Well, we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been in this section where the Sadducees and the Pharisees are trying to trick the Lord Jesus, and they are continuing to come up against not only the one with all the answers, but the one who is the answer, and therefore he has all the questions, the right questions. And so as they try and challenge him and trick him, he brings to light what is true. And so here we are in our, our, our latest question, and this will be the question that ends all questions. So as we read this together, if you'd stand out of reverence for God and his word. Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen to that. So it's interesting. It says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. This was the question to end all questions. And he said, what do you, what do you think? And he specifically asked them about something they thought. But the point was, what do you think? What is in your mind? Where does your belief about what is true, about what is right, and about what is real. Where does it come from, right? Is it fact or opinion? What do you think? And scripture tells us some interesting things about the way man thinks. It says there is a way that seems right to a man. There is a way that seems right to a man. What's the end? Yeah, the end thereof is the ways of death. In other words, on our own, thinking the way that we think the path that will lead us down is a path to separation from God, eternal separation from God, and not our own good, but literally not life, but death, right? There's a way that seems right to a man. The end is the way of death. And in Jeremiah, he said, each one walked according to the stubbornness in his own evil heart. And the problem was not just the stubbornness, but the fact that their ears had covered over without listening to me. Underline that, without listening to me. Okay. So it's interesting, and Proverbs says, yeah, but when I think on my own, I'm always right. You ever notice that? I'm always right. I always have the right perspective. I always have the right viewpoint. Beth and I will sometimes laugh, if, if only we were able to counsel the entire world, all things would be right, because every man's way is right in his own eyes. Of course. How do you know that? 
My way is right in my eyes, right? Everyone's way is right, but the Lord weighs the heart. So the reminder for us, the question is, how do you think? When he says, what do you think? Really, the behind that is, how do you think? And he's asking those who are steeped in what? The Pharisees were steeped in, in religion. Yes, and they had, they, it says in John 8, he says, you, you, I think it's in 8. He says, you come to me, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and you're unwilling to come to me. You're unwilling to come to me. Right. So he says, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So it's not only what do you think about this specific issue, but what do you think and how do you think? So he says, the issue is, what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Christ? Messiah. Christ means Messiah because they're speaking to Jesus the Christ. Right? Christos in Greek means the anointed one or chosen, right? The anointed one, the chosen one, anointed by God, right? Chosen by God, sent by God, right? And in Hebrew, the Messiah. So Jesus speaks about the Lord's human name, right? And his human nature, right? The name given to uh, Mary, by the angel Gabriel, you will conceive in your womb and bear him a son, and you shall name him Jesus, right? The, the angel Gabriel told her this is the name. Jesus is his human name. Christ is his title, signifying Jesus was sent by God to be king and deliverer. So if you look in the Old Testament and scan through there, depending on who you are and depending on how you define it, right, how many promises, how many prophecies, how many scriptures deal with the coming of the Messiah. The Encyclopedia of Bible Prophecy says there are 191 prophecies, 191, that specifically deal with reference to Christ. Um, Alfred Edersheim says there are 456 and he based it upon what the rabbis, Jewish rabbis, historically have considered to be passages about the Messiah. So how many is it? A lot. A lot. Yes, a lot. So this is not surprising, not something new, which begs the question, of course, these were the teachers of the law, the teachers of Scripture. Right? And, and as Paul was, a Pharisee, they had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. They had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. And if you've gone through the Old Testament, and if you haven't, you should, in an in-depth study, you will see it speaks only about the Lord Jesus. That's why when he walked along, he opened their eyes and he showed them that the scriptures from Moses on are all about the Lord Jesus, pointing, pointing, pointing to the Messiah and the fact that he is coming and what he would be like. So in Daniel, it says, you're to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 72 weeks. What does that mean? I don't know. It means he's coming. It means there's a time for it. It means that it would be discernible and, and it is happening in the future. Daniel 9.25. Let's read what he would be like from Isaiah 61. 
The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. Wow, that's really cool, isn't it? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for a child is born to us, a son is given. You notice there's a difference. The child is born, his human nature, the son is given. The Son of God is given. The son wasn't born, the son was given, right? Because the son existed, the son pre-existed from eternity. A child was born into this world, right? The human connection, right? The human part of the Lord Jesus. Child is born, son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. It will happen. Why will it happen? The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this, right? His, his zeal, his fire, his, his passion of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. It will be done. And he says, shout in triumph. Behold, your king is coming. What's he like? He's just, endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a what? Wait a minute. A king on a donkey? Even on a colt, the fowl of a donkey? What? He's just and he's humble. What kind of Messiah is that? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Kings don't come on donkeys, do they? They come in royal processions with a lot of pomp and circumstance. So this one's a bit different. The king is coming, he says, shout in joy and shout in triumph. Where did he come from? Some great and mighty city with a great heritage, a great reputation, I'm sure, right? The Messiah will come from there. No, he'll come from Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago. When? From the days of eternity. Is that cool? This is from forever ago. Determined, predestined, right? According to God's purpose and plan, which were formed before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. So, promises galore. How could you miss the Messiah? Because he wasn't what we look for. I don't want a Messiah like that, right? Scripture says to, to Jews, stumbling block, to Gentiles, foolishness, foolishness. I remember thinking and hearing about Jesus and I thought, it's just stupid, stupid. Like you've got to be, what kind of God is that, right? To Jews to say that our Messiah would come from Bethlehem on a donkey, and he'd hang on a tree. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. That's a stumbling block. 
to Gentiles, that's just foolish. I, I want a God who's powerful, who's strong, right? I want a God who can overcome. Take a look at our myths, mythologies. What are our gods? They're strong. They're super, right? We look at now, they're superheroes. That's what we want. I want Thor, right? That's what I want. Like strong and mighty and this humble white part. So he's a mystery and he's not what we would say we want. We want a dominant ruler. So the Old Testament promises, and he is the son of David, in the line of David, the seed of David, right? Let's read this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. He will be our righteousness. The days are coming, a righteous branch, a king with wisdom and power and authority and sovereignty. So he asked them if Messiah is David's son, which they understood, right? He's the son of David. How does David call him Lord? Pretty good question, right? If he's David's son, the king wouldn't say, my Lord, he's my son. He would submit to me. I wouldn't submit to him. Well, Psalm 110 says, Yahweh says to my Lord, Adonai, so the Lord says to my Lord, two different words, right? Yahweh is his personal name, I am that I am, right? He says to my Lord, my master, if you will, that's what you would call your master, right? Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Yahweh will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. The Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You, the one who is coming, the Messiah, you are a priest forever. You're not only a king, but he's a priest. And he's a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who had no beginning and no end, right? Who is a picture, who is a, a, a signpost for us to say, the one coming will be like Melchizedek, seemingly coming out of nowhere with no beginning and no end. If Messiah is David's son, how does David call him Lord? That had him baffled. You can flip over. So he was David's son and he was David's Lord. David's son, we see Jesus Christ's humanity and David's Lord, we see his deity. We see his humanity and his deity. Well, if we were to answer the question on a multiple choice test, we would all say Jesus is 100% human and 100% right God. And yet, explain that to me if you could. How is that the case? Well, what's interesting is if you look back, I was reading through the, the, the first um, Council of Ni Nicaea and the councils that followed, this issue was the primary issue. Like, you came out of right Jewish thought in that first century and that that Jesus the son 
would be human, son of man, and he'd be the son of God. That was too much to comprehend. So the contention was over who is Jesus? Was he created? Did he come out of nowhere? Did he exist forever? All of that, right? We're on this side of it when it's more a settled issue, but it's still not for everyone, right? Not for Mormons, not for many others, right? So Colossians tells us, in him what dwells? All the fullness of deity in bodily form. The God who is uncontainable stepped into a human container without surrendering his uncontainableness. So I took the sun, 10,000 degrees on the surface, millions of degrees at the center, and I put it into a flashlight. What would happen in the flashlight? Oh, be, it would be vaporized. How is it that the sun stepped into human form? Maybe I read that wrong. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In the beginning was the word, really clear in John, and the word was with God in unity, and the word was God. So I think the Mormons or the Latter-day Saints changed that, was a God. They, they add the, 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 the letter A before it, as in one of, but it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he said, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Tabernacle, literally it means tabernacled. Why? The tabernacle was the place where God dwelt among men. It was a picture pointing, the tabernacle, all of it, is pointing to the Lord Jesus. It's a picture of what was to come. Jesus stepped into humanity, tabernacled among us. And then we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Right? Came through Jesus. Right? And it says he's the only begotten God. Of the same nature. Of the same nature. You can birth, you can begotten a child. Right? Therese is begotten of Josh and Marianne. Of the same nature. If I create something, it's not of the same nature. That which is created is not of the same nature as the creator. Does that make sense? Of the same nature. He's the only begotten God. He's the only one of the same nature. And he says in Revelation, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify these things of the churches. He says, I am the root. The root is the beginning, if you will, right? And descendant of David. I'm the bright morning star. I am the descendant. David's son and David's Lord. Yes. If I create something, a table, or if I make something, right, it's not of the same nature as me, right? I make something, I created it, but it's not of my nature. So I can begotten, I can birth that which is of the same nature as me. Um, dogs birth dogs, right? If animals birth animals, humans birth, right, right? Dogs are begotten of dogs. I can't birth a dog, right? 
What's created is not of the same nature. What is, what is birth, so literally it says that Jesus was begotten of God, which means of the same nature. That's why he's the only. There is no other of the same nature as God. That's what only begotten means. Well, I, I thought you well she's of the same nature, yes. They birthed, right? She was, he was begotten of God, so he's of the same nature. So in other words, he came eternally, not when, in a moment, he came of God. He's of God and he's of the same nature. He's the only begotten. He's the only son. He's the only begotten. Does that make sense? Yes. Right? Has this been confusing for generations? Yes. <laughs> Has it been controversial for generations? Yes. Because there are those that want to say only begotten means God birthed him at some point in time. Therefore, he had a beginning. He was created of God. But scripture is very clear. He was eternal. He was eternally begotten. In other words, it speaks about his nature, not the fact that at a point in time he came into existence. Because Jesus in the beginning was the word, which means right in the beginning he always existed. He's the same yesterday, today, and even forevermore. Before Abraham was, I am. I am that I am. He's of the same nature. So he's eternally the son, and he's the only son. He's the only begotten. Does that make sense? Any other questions on that? Other than the fact it's dumbfounding, right? But there are no other begottens, right? He's the only begotten. And yet, that's why he says a son, right, is uh, that, that a child is born, but the son is given, it says in Isaiah. See, there was not a son born. The son was given. His, his human nature, a child was born. His human nature was born, but the son was given because the son preexisted. The son existed always before time. That's why, very clear in Isaiah, the son is given, right? A child is born, son is given. In other words, he sent forth his, for God so loved the world that he sent forth his son. He sent his son into the world. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Questions, any other questions on that? It's a bit baffling, isn't it? How does deity step into bodily form? Better question, because we're how people. Better question is, why? Why? Why would Jesus come to save those who rebelled, sinned, disobeyed, right, dishonored, were not interested in God? Better question. We want to know how. Tell me the how. As if we're engineers and I can figure it out. Go show me the equation, could you? And I'll, which would suggest that if I were able to see the how, I would understand it. Right? Utter foolishness. A bit prideful. Think, Lord, show me how and I'll get it. Hmm. So the nature, why? Why? So King David calls him Lord. King David, think about this. King David, the highest in authority, calls him Lord. Well, in Isaiah, let's read this. I have sworn by myself... The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. That to me, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. So that phrase, which you've heard, every knee will 
bow that comes from Isaiah. It says not, not only will every knee bow, but every tongue will swear allegiance. Underline that. Swear allegiance. Bow the knee and swear allegiance. That seems a little bit stronger than every tongue will confess. Swear allegiance. That sounds pretty formal. <laughs> that sounds pretty serious. <laughs> that sounds pretty much like something significant. So swear allegiance means to swear devotion, loyalty, to bind yourself to another, to another's purpose, to another's sovereignty. Swear allegiance. If you've seen the movie Count of Monte Cristo, which isn't, isn't exactly according to the book, but it's a, haven't you seen the movie? Where he fights the pirate on the beach and he has an opportunity to kill him and he doesn't. He, he saves his life and he says, I swear to you, Zetata, that I will serve you forever. And so for the rest of the time, he serves him, right? He gives up his own life and he says, I will serve you. That's the picture, right? You saved my life. I swear to you allegiance. It's what soldiers do. Well, at least what soldiers used to do. Now we swear allegiance to ourselves. Yeah, we swear allegiance to ourselves. Why not? I swear to myself. We used to pledge allegiance to the flag. We don't do that anymore, right? We swear allegiance to ourself. Well, let's read from Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we know that one, Philippians. He says that here's the Messiah, Jesus. So he says, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, notice from time, they'll call, at times they're calling him Jesus. In scripture, at times they'll call him Christ. At times they'll call him Jesus Christ, human Messiah. At times they'll call him Christ Jesus. Uh, essentially, understanding that the, they're, they're pointing to the nature of him as Messiah first, human second, right? So he says, have this attitude in you, which was also in Messiah, the anointed one, the sent one, Jesus, right? And you will confess human Messiah, right? His humanness, the fact that he's in reality, that Jesus who came, stepped into the world, stepped into a container, went to the cross on your behalf and was raised from the dead, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. But he's saying, have the attitude of Messiah first, Jesus. Does that make sense? What was that attitude? He took the form of a bondservant, he took the form, of, so it says, he did not regard equality with God. In other words, he had a position of authority and favor at the right hand of God. 
He didn't grasp it, hold on to it, claim it, if you will, right? He took the form of a bondservant, and he was made in the likeness of men. What? I have no idea what that would be like, but I think, so how many would become an ant and walk around in this world as an ant? Probably not even near it, but something like, what? What would I do that for? Be made in the likeness of men. The uncontainable stepped into a container. He said that is the fact that he was a humble bondservant and he obeyed to the point of death. He obeyed to the point. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. And it was not just death, but he died cursed because it was death on the cross. He died cursed. Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. To Jews, a stumbling block. To Greeks, foolishness. A God who would take on the form of a bondservant? I don't want to be a bondservant. I want to own the servant, right? I want to own the estate. I want to have, I want to have control. I want to, be, I want to be in authority in a point, to a point of death, even death on the cross. Well, that begs the question for us. Is he Lord and Savior? So when we share the gospel, it's receive the Lord, right? Receive him. Let him be your Savior. I've got questions. What's his name? I forget his name. He says, we do not make Jesus Lord. I love that. Jesus is Lord, right? So I made the, right? I made the, Jesus Lord, he's saying, no, Jesus is Lord. We, we are supposed to submit to his lordship. Yielding to the will and control of Jesus Christ. Yielding. I hate this. There's a part of me that hates this. There's a part of me that goes, no way. I'm not doing that. I'm the Lord of my own life. I'm the captain of my own destiny. I'm in control. I'm not doing that. I'll make him savior. That's good. Save me. And I'll call you if I need you. So we live in an age when it's break glass in case of emergency, God. Come on in and save me. If I need you again, I'll give you a holler, right? Put that baby down there. I'll text you, right? Have you fallen? Your phone says, have you fallen? No, I'm good. I'm fine, right? Have you fallen? So Pink talks about God's sovereignty. He says, we do not ask, is Christ your Savior, but is he really and truly your Lord? If he's not your Lord, then he's most certainly not your Savior. That's what Pink says. Does he in very deed occupy the throne of your heart? And does he actually rule over your life? Well, kind of, sort of. Paul says, I am a bondservant of Messiah Jesus. He says, I'm called as an apostle. That's my identity, my calling, my role in the life, and I'm set apart for the gospel of God. So he would say, that's how you identify yourself, as a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called, right, whatever you're called for, and you're set apart for the gospel, a picture of our identity. Who the heck wants to be a bondservant? Could you, could you be a, could you pick like a, an illustration that's a little more attractive? How do you expect us to share the gospel if he says, hey, come and be, be a bondservant with me? 
course, we don't, right? It's now come and enjoy all the benefits of the Lord Jesus, right? You don't have to sign anything, believe anything, hope anything. Just, you know, raise your hand. And So, say, 2 Peter says, let's read this. Brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. The kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hmm. More diligent. More diligent. So I thought about this. That's why I hate teaching line upon line, precept upon precept. As I come to stuff, I don't like to teach. I don't like to hear it. I struggle with it. I think, I don't want to teach this because then i got to teach it myself. I hate this stuff. But it's the essence of what he's called us to, isn't it? It is the essence. Uh, his lordship, right? His, his uh, role in our life, right, is the question. Jesus said very simply, here's all you need to do. Jesus said, this is what it looks like. There it is. Yeah, very simply. Very simply, follow me. That's what it means to make him Lord. As in, oh, you're out in front and I'm following. Or you're leading the way and I'm following. Or you're going where you should go. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You're the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. So it seemed to me as I was thinking about this, because this goes on the heel of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind that when we look at lordship there are four core areas i don't know if this is totally true or not but heart soul mind in other words what what do you think what are your goals and priorities your wealth your stuff your money your possessions okay keffer that's a little bit personal we can talk about my thinking but don't get near my stuff how about my time my work my recreation, my ministry, and lastly, my relationships, family, friends, colleagues. So here's what this looks like. We're going to take a couple of minutes to do this. First of all, if you were able to kind of write down some words or phrases which you would say that would indicate that he's Lord of my heart, soul, mind, my money, my time, my relationships, that's what ideal is. And then the second part is, okay, here's some ways in which that's true in my life. Right? It's a good way to say, this is not just, you know, beat myself with a stick, it's ways. And here's some ways that could be better, and here's some action that I'm taking. It's important, I didn't put it in here, but as I was, I was getting ready, the Lord reminded me of the verse from Matthew 11, where Jesus says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Right? And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And so as I go through the idea of lordship, which, by the way, my, my nature just goes... I have to remember, he's saying, if you don't, you can, you can operate without me. You will be weary and heavy laden. Right? How many have gone through life weary and heavy laden? Right? And there's areas of your life where you are weary and heavy laden overburdened, overworried, right? And, and it's usually in one or more of these areas. He's saying the, the reason that's the case is because you haven't taken my yoke in that area. And he says, my yoke is 
It's light. It's easy. Why? Because I am gentle and I'm humble in heart. And so as you do this, right, there's a part of our, we talked about, right, that, uh, that our flesh battles against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, right? <laughs> there's part of my flesh that goes, it ain't no way. I'm not taking anybody's yoke, right? But he reminds us, I'm gentle and humble in heart. And he's been tempted in all ways as you have. So as you go through here, remember, He's not saying, right, bow your knee. He's saying, follow me. Does that make sense? All right, so take a couple of minutes. And that's the idea that we have this kind of sense of what would it look like if Jesus were truly Lord in each one of these areas, right? In my heart and my soul, in, in my, my wealth, in my time, and in my relationships, right? And then there are ways in which that's a reality in a good way right which sometimes we tend to forget right so it's a reminder that these are ways in which i am submitting to his lordship in each one of these areas it's likely that some areas are easier for you than others right depending on how you're wired and you know what your oftentimes what your anxieties and fears and worries are right so we tend to to grab control in the areas that we have greatest anxiety around because surrendering those seems much harder. Then there's some areas to just say, here's some ways that it could be better. And here's just one area, right? We're, we're, we are literally on a journey with the Lord Jesus, seeking his favor and his grace to bring that about. The good news is the reality is our redemption, which was purchased before time began, will be a reality when it becomes ideal. <laughs> Everybody get it? And even more than ideal. Because sin, right, the, which we looked at last time, the very presence of sin will be gone. Not just the penalty, the power, and the presence. They'll all be gone in the resurrection. So the ideal has already been purchased for us. And we are living into it. We're leaning into it, right? And so as he goes through here, it's a reminder that he came that you would have life, not that you would have death, but that you would have life and that you would have it more abundantly. We're just confused about the way. I think I know the way to abundant life. Jesus said, no, I am the way. If you follow me, yeah, but I don't want to go there. Why? Well, I think that's the way to abundant life. I want more of that, need more of this. I want more of that, right? And he's saying, that's not the way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the ends there are the ways of death, right? If you go down that path, don't, <laughs> right? And constantly he's calling me back, isn't he? Saying, you know, that path is not the path. <laughs> isn't that the, the deal as we go through here, right? Yes. Yeah, to just go through here and say, you know, here's an area, right? We're, we're, we're on a journey with the Lord Jesus. And he reminds us that you can come boldly before the throne of grace, right? It's a throne of grace that you might receive mercy. The mercy is I didn't do. The mercy is I'm serving myself, right? Mercy for my sin and grace to help in time of need. Hopefully calling him in sooner, right? But we all struggle with this. I struggle with this daily and regularly and, and wonder how stubborn I am and how much I want my own way. <laughs> And I want to do it my own way. And I want to have what I want to have, right? I want to do what I want to do. And the Lord Jesus has been tempted in all ways as we have, yet 
without sin. We have a merciful and faithful high priest. So he's, uh, he's saying, take my yoke upon you. Why? Because I want you to have an abundant life. And I'm the way to peace and freedom and security and hope and confidence. When the, when the world is going insane around us, swirling out of control, there is nothing out there that's going to give you peace and security and confidence and hope. So stop running after it, he's saying, <laughs> hoping that that changes out there so you feel better inside. It's not. It, it doesn't deliver, is what he's saying. I deliver. I deliver. I always deliver. Right? And I know what you're going through because I've been tempted in all ways as you have yet without sin. So he's able to give us mercy and grace and, tumble and help us in time of need. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. My favorite prayer. Help me, Lord. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Amen. Amen. And may the Lord who humbled himself on your behalf, may he bless you, may he keep you, may he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance and grant you shalom in your soul. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, uh, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, throughout your day, throughout your week, and throughout your life. May he bless you and keep you. Amen. Thanks for listening. I hope you have greater hope, assurance, and confidence in your life and a deeper trust in the God of the Bible and His Son, Jesus Christ. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you His peace, His shalom in your soul and in your life. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you. 